Is Satan slowly stealing your soul through an energy drink? Or could you be destined to hell because you decided to get vaccinated? This is The Awkward Apocalypse, a deconstruction podcast that examines Christian culture against the authority of scripture. I'm Corey Kuhn, and today I'd like to talk about the mark of the beast. This is the catchy theme song. This is the catchy theme song. When I was in middle school, I was obsessed with the Left Behind books. I read the adult version and the kid version at the same time. I was always looking for signs of the end times. I'd watch the news and I would see a famine in Africa and be like, oh, that's it. That's that's one of the horses of the apocalypse, dad. It's coming. It's coming. The, the tribulation's coming to get ready. And, uh, you know, I was always wondering when the rapture would happen. And I was always terrified that maybe it happened while I was sleeping. And then I'd wake up and there'd be clothes everywhere and airplanes falling out of the sky. And I mean, Left Behind had me paranoid. But I was confident that I would get raptured, and I was confident that if the tribulation came, that I would be one of the ones who stays faithful to Jesus and does not follow the Antichrist, who I believe came out of Russia in the Left Behind book. I can't remember. But within the book, one of the major events that happens is the mark of the believers and the mark of the beast. Now, the mark of the believers, I remember only other Christians could see, and it was like a cross on your forehead. And so, yes, some nights I would turn the shower on and then I would go up to the mirror and I would try to like look at my forehead really closely and see if like a cross was forming on it or something. Like, I, t- I took it seriously, man. I-, I was really serious about it. And within the book, the cross would appear on people as they became Christians. And so it was always after they prayed the prayer, they they would pray the prayer. And then suddenly the cross would appear on their forehead. Like everyone's head is bowed, their eyes are closed. And then when they open their eyes, there it is the mark of the believer on the forehead. And the mark of the believer was something that only Christians could see. But the mark of the beast was something that was very much like well-known, like you need to get this mark of the beast. And I think it was like a 666 tattoo on their wrist or forehead, or I can't remember what it was. Um, But in the book, the mark of the beast was literally taken straight out of Revelation and it was applied to the Antichrist. And you had to have the mark of the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, in order to buy, to sell, things like that. So it was a literal interpretation of Revelation. And the Left Behind books were extremely influential. And I think they sort of captured what is the default interpretation of Revelation and kind of the default approach to the Christian life, at least in the geographical South in America. I mean, most people hold to dispensational theology and they don't know what it is. And dispensational theology is kind of what guided the Left Behind books. Like that's what's undergirding the theology of Left Behind. And so I grew up indoctrinating myself into dispensational theology. And so I believed that the mark of the beast was a literal mark that you had to receive from the Antichrist. And if you received this mark, you sealed your fate, you sealed your soul to hell. Like once you receive the mark, there's no going back. You belong to the Antichrist. You belong to Satan and your soul is destined for hell. You're one of his children now. And so you had to be vigilant. You had to be careful not to take the mark of the beast, but instead to mark yourself with Christ. And a huge population of people in the South believe this. Like this is kind of their approach to scripture, their approach to revelation. And the left behind books, I believe, capture that really well. Now, dispensational theology, which teaches a very, very literal interpretation of the Bible is kind of the default hermeneutic of Christians in the South. It's their default method of interpretation as they approach the Bible. And dispensational theology, I think I've said this before, 
is not really popular like in the scholarly realm. Like most people who are biblical scholars think that dispensational theology is kind of ridiculous, but it makes sense to people who are not as educated in interpreting the scripture because it is so literal, it is so plain, and you you just read the text as it is. And so they kind of look at scholars as like, oh, you're just muddling the thing up, you're doing all kind of gymnastics, just read it for what it is. And the problem is you don't do that with apocalyptic literature like revelation or I believe parts of Daniel and maybe Ezekiel. Like there are parts of the Bible that are really hard to understand. And if you read them literally, you wind up with some crazy interpretations or some crazy events forecasted. And that's what happens when you approach revelation through the lens of dispensational theology is you get basically the left behind books. I mean, you get helicopters that John thought were locusts and you get literal marks, you get earthquakes. I mean, basically the world just gets obliterated constantly. I mean, it is, it's epic. I mean, I remember when I learned that left behind wasn't really like the proper interpretation of scripture. I was really disappointed because I mean, my life was boring. I was just going to school every day, riding the bus. And I was like, man, wouldn't it be so cool if we had like earthquakes and, you know, locusts that come and sting you if you're if you're not a christian and you know like that it just sounded so cool i mean dangerous but you know when you're a middle school boy that's what you you want a zombie apocalypse you want something exciting like that happening so i was always like pulling for the tribulation (laughs) um but when i found out that it wasn't true i was kind of disappointed but the reason it's not true is because you don't read apocalyptic literature like that. You don't interpret it literally. Like just because it says there was an earthquake doesn't mean that there's going to be a literal earthquake. It's symbolic. You, you have to interpret it. You have to look at the context. You have to look at what does an earthquake symbolize in, in this particular context. Like, like apocalyptic literature is difficult to understand and interpret and people still disagree on how exactly to read Revelation. But today, I thought it would be good to take a moment and look at specifically the mark of the beast and how it's understood, especially within fundamentalist circles, and then kind of talk about what it actually is and what it isn't, and how a lot of people believing what it is not has really affected our approach to the Christian life. Okay, so let's go to that passage in Revelation. So Revelation 13 verses 16 and 17 says the following, and now I'm reading this from the ESV. says, also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And then the next verse says the number is 666. Now, this is the part of Revelation that I believe has influenced our view of Satan, our view of how he works in the world, and what the mark of the beast is and what it symbolizes and represents more than really any other passage. Because what we have here is we have a very clear biblical passage saying that the Antichrist will require a mark on our forehead or our wrist that is required to buy or sell in the marketplace. And so seems pretty straightforward, right? Like there's going to be a mark and without that mark, you can't buy or sell. So that's coming. We need to be careful. We need to be vigilant and not take this mark because although it will make our lives easier and we can buy and sell, it will sentence our souls to hell because we will belong to the antichrist. And you know, as you read through the book of revelation, you see that those who have the mark of the beast belong to the beast. 
And so it seems pretty clear, right? <laughs> the problem is that's not exactly what it means. Like you can't just read Revelation literally like that. You can't just take the verse and say, okay, plain as day right there. Um, because like I said before, this is apocalyptic literature. Now I'm not going to go into all like the different methods of interpreting Revelation. I don't have time for that. This isn't a seminary class, but I will say that the way that I interpret Revelation is that a vast majority of the book either has already happened or is currently happening right now. So I believe that the mark of the beast very much exists. It has existed for a very long time and it exists today and it will continue to exist into the foreseeable future. Now, the mark of the beast, I don't believe is a literal 666 tattoo. And most biblical scholars would support me in that. The mark of the beast is not a literal mark you put on you. The mark of the beast is instead how we conduct ourselves, how we behave, the values we have, what, what our priorities are. I mean, it's kind of the same thing as like when you look at a Christian and you say, I see the fruit, you know, that's a common like Christianese saying, I see the fruit, which basically means I believe that that person is Christian because of the way that they love other people. I believe they are Christian because of how giving they are, because of how sacrificial they are, because of how kind and gentle they are. They, they seem to embody the qualities of a Christian and therefore I believe they are a Christian. That's the fruit. The mark of the beast in the same way, I believe can be viewed as the fruit of not being a Christian. It is something that marks you, something that you can see and observe in other people is you can observe them not to be a Christian because of the way they behave, because of the way they conduct themselves, because of what they value, and because they are willing to compromise their morals in order to achieve some end. And a lot of times that end is making money. Like as a Christian, it's hard to be in the workplace. It's hard to be in an environment where you have Christian convictions, but the environment you're in does not share those convictions. So I will say that in my own life, every single job I've had, I have had to make some kind of ethical decision about whether or not I would follow all the requirements of the job because of my Christian convictions. You know, everything from like fudging hours to working on Sunday to using my camera to document things that I believe are sinful, things like that are constantly confronting me. I mean, even when I was in law enforcement, I had to ask myself the question, do I go into strip clubs undercover? Do I enter into massage parlors that are being accused of prostitution and like literally get naked and go undercover in order to prosecute these people? <laughs> you know, like questions I never thought I would have to be asking myself as a Christian, I had to look and say, am I willing to do this? And if not, it's going to cause friction within the workplace. Like I, I could be fired. I could be, you know, I could lose money. And so I believe that that is in some ways, the mark of the beast versus the mark of the believer is if you are not willing to compromise your morals, it's harder to make money. Now I will say that the passage in revelation is more definite and severe than what I'm describing. Like it literally says no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. So I get that. What the scenario I'm describing is not so absolute. It's more just like, it's difficult to buy or sell if you're a Christian. Like it definitely complicates things if you can't lie. It definitely complicates things if you have this rigid moral system that doesn't allow you to sort of bend a little bit to keep things simple, to continue making money. But I believe that right now, at this time in redemptive history, as we are living in the last days, is 
the mark of the beast. I think that's what John is describing. And I think it's symbolic. I think the mark is symbolic. Like, yes, in his vision, he saw people taking the mark on the wrist or the forehead. But the point is, it's an identity. I think that's really the point that he's driving home. Um, as one scholar of Revelation said, if you focus on the details, you will drown. Like you'll get lost. You have to look at what is the point that John is communicating in this passage. So if you, when you get to the description of the beast and you see like he has this many horns and there's a jewel on this one and this many heads, if you try to interpret each number to mean something, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Instead, you have to look at what is the general thrust of what John is saying here. And for me, the mark of the beast, the general thrust is if you are not willing to follow the ways of Satan, if you're not willing to follow the ways of the beast, of darkness, of the world, your life is going to be more difficult when it comes to money, to buying and selling. If you're not willing to take that mark, which means if you're not willing to live the lifestyle, to bear the fruit of darkness, your life is going to be more difficult in the workplace or the marketplace or wherever it is you're making money. Now, let's compare that to what I believe is sort of the fundamentalist position on this. That's why I'm bringing this up is because I believe this really affects the culture of fundamentalism because fundamentalism has this culture of like always trying to find what is the mark of the beast. And beyond that, it, it becomes this culture of like, trying to uncover Satan's secret ploys. Like Satan's always trying to weasel into our lives and sneak things into our house and poison our children's minds with media and things like that. And so I believe that this mentality translates into an approach to how we understand Satan and how we understand the darkness of the world. So that's why I bring this up. This is an example. The Mark of the Beast is an example that I believe shows us a greater reality in the culture of fundamentalism. That's why I'm bringing this up. So if you're, if you're listening to this, you're like, why are we talking about this? Aren't you supposed to be talking about fundamentalism? I'm bringing this up because I believe it highlights the way that a fundamentalist thinks about the darkness of the world and about Satan in general. And I believe that approach is very flawed as I've just explained. And so now that we have what I believe is a proper understanding of the mark of the beast, let's look at it from the fundamentalist perspective and how they understand what is the mark of the beast, where do you find it, and how do you avoid it? Fundamentalists are always looking for secret tactics in Satan's schemes. See, the fundamentalist approach to the mark of the beast is to see it as something that Satan is trying to sneak into your life. Like for a lot of fundamentalists, they believe that you can accidentally receive the mark of the beast and then it's too late. Your soul is sealed and you're going to hell. And so you have to be vigilant. You have to be careful or else you might receive the mark of the beast. And so you have certain beliefs like, don't take the COVID vaccine because it's the mark of the beast. Like there's a chip inside. It's like, that is the left behind understanding of the mark of the beast in, in left behind. It's very much like I'm the antichrist. You take this mark if you want to belong to me. But a lot of fundamentalist Christians have taken that to the next level. And now the, the antichrist is not the one saying you need to take this if you want to buy and sell. Instead, it's just the government. And, you know, there's a, like Christians can do it, but not realize what they're doing. And so now there's this element of like, be careful because you could accidentally take the mark of the beast. And I get the connection without the vaccine. You couldn't travel. You know, they wouldn't let you into stores and things like that. So I get where they're coming from. Like you can't buy or sell without the vaccine, but uh, now you can. So 
clearly that wasn't the case. Like now a lot of people who didn't take the vaccine can buy and sell and go into stores and things like that. So that very clearly was not the mark of the beast because if it was, it would still be in effect, you know, more than, more than a year. Anyways. Um, so a lot of fundamentalists look at something like the vaccine and they say, that's the mark of the beast. See, you can't buy and sell without it. So that must be the mark of the beast. And it's, it's kind of one of those things where they're always trying to find how is Satan sneaking into our house? How is he poisoning our children? And so you have certain things like uh, monster energy drinks. I remember when that was really popular, when a lot of more fundamentalist Christians believed that monster energy drink was the drink of the beast. So you have like the three, the, the three slashes on, that make the M and monster. And they were like that, that's six, six, six upside down. And then there's like, they're, they're like dissecting the labels and finding all these satanic images and you know references around the label of the can and i'm just like okay let's imagine this for a moment like let's imagine satan and his demons are having having a staff meeting like they get together and they're like all right guys we're out of ideas how do we infiltrate these christians they're they're vigilant man how how do we get into their homes and into their lives how do we penetrate their soul and one demon's like all right guys energy drinks hear me out hear me out christians like energy drinks right okay so let's put our symbolism huh on an energy drink and we'll call it monster it's like beast but instead we're gonna call it monster so they'll never pick up on it they'll not and and we'll put 666 on there but we'll make it upside down because that's an m huh tell me that's not a good idea and they're like, okay, okay, I see where you're going. But um, how does this, what does this accomplish? So, okay, we put our symbolism on a can. Is there some kind of like spiritual like demon in the drink or something? Like, no, no, it just, we just put, we just put it on the can. Just say it's from Satan. Like, that, and that, that'll, that, and they're like, okay, um, again, what does that accomplish? <laughs> and I think like, that's where it kind of falls apart is it's like, Okay, sure. Let, let's assume for a minute that the Monster Energy Drink Company was like, haha, this is satanic. And we're going to put these subtle little satanic images around the drink. As a Christian, what does that actually do to you? Like, if you unknowingly are drinking a drink that has a 666 on it, does that like poison your soul or something? Like, where is that in the Bible, I guess, is what I'm saying. But like a lot of Christians buy into that. A lot of Christians buy into like, don't listen to this music because this person sold their soul to the devil. Like, I think Katy Perry's a big one. Jay-Z, Beyonce, like, I, I think Taylor Swift is like kind of the new one. It's like basically anyone who's wildly popular must have sold their soul to the devil and you're they're gonna like dissect their lyrics and dissect their lives and find how is this person related to satan and then if you listen to their music it's like you're welcoming satan into your home and where is that in the bible like honestly where do we find not listening to certain music because it introduces satan into your soul like yeah if you spend time in the darkness of the world it begins to affect you and if you're around people who are living lifestyles of sin yeah that does start to affect you and you know we are called to like guard ourselves in that sense but like 
come on. I, mean, I guess this is where this is where the Mark of the Beast culture extends beyond the Mark of the Beast, and you start to see it as a general approach to how we understand Satan and how we understand how he operates in the world. And I think a lot of Christians think that the way that Satan operates in the world is he is this sort of dark presence with all these symbols like pentagrams and 666s and uh, all, all this imagery. And our job as Christians is to uncover all of his schemes. But the schemes that we're uncovering are typically just finding where his images are and finding where his marks are. And it really doesn't have to do with like actual evil. Like, I mean, they might say like, oh, Jay-Z sacrificed a baby or something like that. But it's like we see Satan. We see the way that he works as like something that isn't really biblical. It's like satanic people have altars and they sacrifice things and there's black and there's pentagrams and and that's not really how the bible describes satan in general like i don't think that's what the mark of the beast is and i don't think that's how satan operates like satan is an angel of light he that's what lucifer means i mean he's deceptive he comes to you as someone who's beautiful and deceives you it's not and, and i mean okay i hear people saying yeah beyonce is beautiful and she deceives people like but how Like, I think that Satan, rather than embedding his symbols and things and trying to like infiltrate your life with all these dark imagery, like instead, I think he wants to distort the truth of the Bible, distort the truth of the gospel and let that be a distraction to Christians who are otherwise serving God and and to mislead them. I mean, that's how Satan comes to Eve in the garden. He doesn't come to her with like a candle and a skull and is like, hey, you should worship me. You should like do these chants and and, uh, draw pentagrams all over the garden of Eden. I mean, no, he comes to Eve and he says, Hey, remember God said this thing to you. And then he distorts what God said and leads her into temptation. He deceives her. And I believe that's how Satan operates in the world today is he's trying to deceive people. He's trying to lead them astray. He's, he's a liar and liars don't tell you what they're going to do. Like liars don't expose their conspiracies. Like I, I remember when this COVID thing was like a big deal. And I remember, I think it was like Bill Gates or Anthony Fauci or like one of those people that everybody loves to hate, uh, gave an address and said, there will be a pandemic in the future and we're not ready for it. And then they took that as evidence of like, see, he knew it was coming. Like, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's assume this guy is planning a pandemic. He, he gets on a microphone and announces his secret plan to the world. Like, how stupid do you think these people are? <laughs> like, if you're planning a pandemic, you don't say anything about it. Like, what, what good would that do? Why would you get in front of a microphone and announce to everyone, oh, yeah, there's going to be a pandemic soon, just so you know. Like, I mean, if your plan is to get everyone sick, why would you tell everyone to prepare for it? I don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense. And Christians have this very simplified approach to things like conspiracies and the way that Satan works. And they think that they're just going to announce it to everyone. Like, they're going to put it all over a monster energy drink can or something like that. When Satan is smarter than that. If you want to find out what Satan's up to, if you want to see the lies of Satan, read your Bible and like, like really read it and study it and then try to live a Christian life because you will see very quickly that a lot of Americans have given themselves over to a gospel that is not the gospel, to a version of Christianity that is not Christianity, who believe they're loving when they're actually being pretty hateful, who justify a lot of absurd and immoral actions because they believe it's what Jesus told them to do. 
If that isn't Satan at work, I don't know what is. But so many fundamentalist Christians are so busy trying to uncover Satan in an energy drink or in a popular celebrity that they've missed how Satan is literally right under their nose, distorting the way that they understand the Bible, distorting the way that they understand who Jesus is and what we are called to do as Christians. That is, I believe, how Satan works. And the fundamentalist culture has completely distorted that. And I believe at the center of that is the belief in the mark of the beast. I think it extends out from there and creates a culture that makes us miss who Satan is, what he's doing, and how he works. And that's kind of the point. Like, I think the misunderstanding of the mark of the beast is part of the work of Satan, to be honest. Like, I, he's deceiving you. He's saying, I work this way. And then people buy into it when really that's not how he works at all. I think all that dark stuff, all the pentagrams and candles and Latin chants and things like that, those aren't in the Bible. I think that those are intentional ploys of Satan to distract us from how he actually works. So all of you who are buying into these conspiracies, you buying into that conspiracy is a conspiracy and I've just exposed it. So there you go. And so I think instead of focusing on all these like superficial elements that really don't relate to Satan much at all and focusing on trying to find the mark of the beast, I think it's better to focus on the way that Satan has already distorted our Christianity in America and focus instead on that. Focus on the ways that the church and Christians have become absolutely obsessed with power, how they engage in racist practices, how the money and the wealth and the privilege have come to dominate the church and the Christian culture, and how we focus so much on our own comforts and conveniences, and we inwardly become selfish Christians who are not loving, who do not embody the ethics of Jesus, and who ultimately, I believe, are following the ways of Satan, and in some instances, have actually taken the mark of the beast. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the work that we do in Liberia, feel free to visit standingsidebyside.org. If you'd like to make a donation, there's a donate tab on that page, or you can just Venmo at Standing Side by Side Inc. I'm still at my friend's house, uh, just hiding for potential violence. And so I'm a little bit bored. And so I've just been churning out these podcast episodes. So I hope you're enjoying these and hopefully these tensions will be over soon. If you'd like to see what life is like here, well, not right now because it's incredibly boring. I'm not posting any updates, but uh, if you'd like to see what life is like here, whenever I'm here and active, you can follow me on Instagram at pa.pancake. That's P-A dot pancake. And whenever I'm here, I'll be posting on my story. I'll be posting my photography and just kind of giving you more of a glimpse of what life is like in Liberia. Thank you so much for listening. Keep the faith.